0: Just quick review, Romans, you know, basically Paul writes to the Romans, he's planning to visit there, he's never been there, he's met many people from there. um, And he writes this letter in preparation and it turns out that it's one of the most theologically complete and profound of any of the the New Testament letters. Um, He presents the gospel of God, you know, which is the story of God's righteousness and his love. It's the power of God to salvation. Um, you know, it, it, the purpose of it, he said, we've received grace and apostleship to bring the nations to the obedience of faith. And so, salvation and the obedience of faith, he kind of uses in the beginning and the end of the gospel. But basically, the gospel is that God loves us and that when we trust in that love, as it promises in Romans eight thirty nine, nothing in all creation can will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Hallelujah. It's this amazing story. And, and so the first eight chapters deal with, with our need for salvation and God's great salvation. Then the last four chapters, 12, 13, 14, 15, that's five chapters, and 16, deal with transformation. You know, the, Our response to the gospel is that our lives are transformed by the renewing of our mind, by the word of God. But right in the middle, Romans 9, when he comes to God's promises that, that, that nothing can separate us from the love of God, this brings up this issue that was an issue in the church of what about the Jewish people? And the church in Rome was... Probably founded like most of the churches, you know, with with among diaspora Jews who were living in different major cities, and the gospel came to them, and they, and there were among them believers, and so these early Christian communities started, but in Rome in particular, once the the it got going, it all the Jews were sent out of out of. Uh, Rome, I was going to say Jerusalem. Help me, Lord, give my mind. <laughs> they had to leave Rome because of the persecution, and uh, and so when they came back, the church had had survived and grown, and it was predominantly Gentile. So they left. It was one way they came back, and now this Gentile culture, which was very different than Jewish culture, Jewish culture was and is distinct in all the. World And it, it's part of what has preserved the Jewishness of the Jewish people. And so there's this culture conflict and now there's mostly these Gentiles, many who came to Christ when, when the Jews were out of town. So there's this conflict of cultures and opinions and understanding of God's ways. And Paul gets into this in, in chapter nine. It's pretty amazing you know, that he deals with this whole issue and basically, chapter 9 deals with the past election of the people of Israel at God's divine sovereignty. Chapter 10 deals with the present situation where so many Jewish people have rejected the gospel of God. They stumbled over the stumbling stone of Christ crucified. And, uh, and this issue of that, that God is sovereign, God you know, God God's election is sovereign, and yet there's human responsibility, which, which are in tension with each other. And then chapter 11, which we're into today, gets into the future restoration of Israel and God's glory. Amen. So it's pretty fun. So are you ready to dive in? Okay, open your Bibles or, or your phones or something, but it, it might... The advantage of having in a Bible is you can at least write little notes in the margin. It's a little harder to do that on a phone, but um, anyway, you are what, what you, you have your preferred way of reading the Word of God, and some of you, maybe it's up on the screen, but <laughs> take notes okay um, so here's some context. you know Paul, you know. He, he dives into this issue that many Gentiles, but only a few among the Jews, small percentage, received the gospel. By the way, there were many. You know, the book of Acts tells us a great number of priests believed. And, and it, church tradition teaches us that, that several thousand believing priests who were converted to Christianity under, uh, at the Roman invasion in AD 70, fled into the mountains of Syria, and from that group uh, you know, was born the Orthodox Christian church tradition, the liturgy of the Orthodox church. They trace all the way back to the original believing priests who, who brought their liturgy with them. A lot of us don't know that. We just think, oh yeah, oh, you know, here we are, we're the believers. You know. I got saved with a bunch of hippies, so we could've thought like the gospel went to the hippies and in the Jesus movement, many of us believed. I'm just telling you, there's a move of God coming in our day, There's like we're in the midst, the beginning stages of a tremendous move of God. It's really good to know this. So, um, So Paul addresses the question, Romans 9.30, what shall we say then? The Gentiles who did not pursue righteousness have attained it. And the, and the Jewish people in general rejected it. Um, Romans 10, he says, how, how does this work? Faith comes by hearing, hearing through the word of Christ. Verse 18, and then he bring, goes back to the Jews and he says, but I ask, have they, meaning the Jewish people, not heard? Indeed they have. And this goes for everyone. Their voice has gone out through all the earth. He's quoting Psalm 19. God makes his his invisible attributes known to every human being through the the wonders of the universe, but specifically verse eighteen, he says, "Did they have they not heard? Indeed, they have." For whoops, I mean, I just read that verse nineteen. But I asked, did Israel not understand? Well, you know, like they couldn't understand God's glory in the stars. So Moses says, "I'll make you jealous by those who are not a nation." And so he's. Paul is illustrating that God already knew this was going to happen and he's going to actually, the people who resist him will be made jealous by people that they thought had nothing to do with God. It's a very interesting thing. In the early 70s, when all these dirty hippies started walking into churches with bare feet, you know, living together, living in sin, maybe taking drugs and then coming to church, you know, they were both pre-Christians and new Christians. It upset a lot of church people. You know, but I'm just saying that God does things that he does, you know, and probably most of the Christian leaders in my generation, you see an old white haired baby boomer or no haired baby boomer in a church, they probably met Jesus during the Jesus movement. And many of them didn't come from church backgrounds. I'm telling you, there will be a harvest and a whole new generation of leadership globally that's going to come out of the current mess. That's how God does it. And so, and then he goes on and he quotes Isaiah and, and et cetera. But let's get into to chapter 11. Lord, help my brain. This is gonna be doctrinal teaching primarily, not like super fun te- preaching, but you, we need this. Just say, this is good for me. <laughs> this is my Bible. I have what it says I have. I am who it says I am. But if you don't know what's in it, you don't know what you have and you don't know who you are. So we need the word of God, don't we? Okay, that's my Joel Osteen impersonation, which I give with great wonder and awe. You know, I I just think he's amazing. Okay, Romans 11. So Paul asks this question. So I ask then, has God rejected his people? And the next statement says, by no means. Literally, this is an exclamation, and you could translate it with one English word, impossible, with an exclamation point after it. It means it can't happen. Has God rejected his people? Impossible. That's good news for you, too, you know, because if you've come to him in Jesus, you're his people. But he's talking about the Jewish people in general here and he says, it's impossible for any, he, he is, you know, case in point number one. <laughs> for I myself, am an Israelite, descendant of Abraham, member of the tribe of Benjamin, he persecuted the church, he was a blasphemer, he was a terrorist and he, he didn't come softly and tenderly, Jesus was calling and he goes, I come, I come, no. It's like God said, I want him, boom. Bright light, blinded for three days, knocked to the ground. He went, it scared the, all the demons out of him. And he said, who are you? He says, I'm, and he, and he, he heard a voice saying, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me?
1: And he said, who are you, Lord?
0: <laughs> Right away he knew, he was talking to somebody bigger than himself. He says, I'm Jesus whom you persecute. And uh, and so this is how Paul came into the kingdom. So he's saying, has God rejected his people? If he's gonna reject anybody, he would reject Saul of Tarsus. Instead, he chose him from his mother's womb to be an apostle to the Gentiles. (laughs) Just hilarious. Anyway, second illustration, Elijah, verse two. God has not rejected his people whom he foreknew. Now, there's two good words here. People, he's referring to the general people of Israel, and foreknew, which is sort of equivalent to chosen, okay? So, he hasn't rejected them. Now, now many of them have rejected God, but he hasn't rejected them. Do you not know what scripture says of Elijah, how he appeals to God against Israel, Lord? They've killed your prophets. They have demolished your altars, which is what they did. You know, Jesus was the greatest prophet ever sent. They killed the prophet. He was was not only, he was the priest, the sacrifice and the altar, and they, they demolished him, but he was raised from the dead. And then Elijah said, I alone am left, and they seek my life. We could see, you know, you could feel like Elijah just watching the news, reading, Laws that are being passed, seeing what's going on in terms of like God is. Are there going to be any believers yet left? And the answer is yes. <laughs> okay, okay. So I mean, I alone am left, and God. Here's what. What does God say? I've kept for myself seven thousand men who have not bowed the knee to Baal. So in other words, God says. Elijah, you've got it wrong. You're isolated. You're feeling sorry for yourself. You're feeling overwhelmed and intimidated. But I want you to know, I have a special reserve that I've reserved for myself. It's the best of the best. 7,000 who have not bowed the knee to the Now, why did God say 7,000? Were there exactly 7,000? Were there approximately 7,000? Maybe he chose 7,000 as a symbolic number, seven being the perfect no- number of perfection and completion, thousand meaning it's a big number more than you can imagine. Maybe he's saying, you know, maybe there were and 3. I have no idea, but, he, but he's saying there's 7,000, Elijah. It's like, whoa, I never imagined that. Do you know the number of overcomers there will be in eternity? Revelation chapter 7. John saw the multitude, it was greater than any man could number. Thank you. Thank you, Jesus. It's, but verse 6 if it's by grace, uh, oh, verse 5, better read that. So too there is, and Paul's saying right now there is, and there still is to this day, a remnant of chosen by grace. So this remnant, this part that God reserves for himself, it's sovereign, and they've been chosen by grace, and there are, I mean, to this day, and ever since the gospel was first preached, there have been many Israelites, many Jewish people who were believers. You know, and and today there still are. They're just a remnant when you consider all the Jewish people in the earth And likewise, we, uh, if you're a Gentile, or you're mostly Gentile, that, that we are a remnant of all the nations right here. And because there's only a few of us, Jesus said, fear not little flock, it's your Father's good pleasure, that doesn't negate all the promises God has made about the earth being filled with the glory. Do you understand that? It's like, so we live in hope, we live in expectation, we realize everything we've seen is nothing compared to what we will see, or if we don't see it, our future generation will see the glory of God filling the earth. It's good, (laughs) this is why God is a God of hope. Verse six, but if it is by grace, now they were chosen by grace, meaning God chooses and it's not by works. Right? It's no longer on the basis of work. Otherwise, grace would have been no longer grace. When we think we can, I've got this, we might be wrong. But when we think God's got this, we're always right. You know, it's like only God can fix the fix that we're in. You know, verse seven. Now, what shall we say then? you know, so Israel's elect, and yet not all of them are getting it. What shall we say? Israel failed to obtain what it was seeking. It was seeking righteousness, favor with God, but it was going about it in the wrong way. We learned that from the other chapters. The elect obtained it, but the rest were hardened. So the elect, like, how does God elect? I'm going to tell you how he elects. I don't know. And I don't. I don't know if we'll ever know. And he may never tell us how how we're chosen. But we. Jesus said, "I chose you. You didn't choose me." We think we choose him, but we're responding to his choice. We think we seek him, but our seeking is a response to the fact that the Father is seeking those who will worship him in spirit and truth. And so there's this. There is this elect that, for some reason have given up on trying and saying, God, I'm so hungry for you and I know I could never get to you and he walks through the door. He appears, you know, the man in white who is appearing to thousands and thousands and thousands of Muslims in their dreams and has appeared to other people, not just Muslims. But it's so interesting, in closed countries, they're not closed. One of the fastest growing churches in the world is in Iran right now, Tehran you know, under the Ayatollah and all, it's illegal, but the underground church is massively growing in Iran. I mean, and and it's likewise in every culture, in every situation, but he's saying, the elect obtain it, the rest are hardened. What does it mean they're hardened? Did God harden them? I don't know. Maybe we harden ourselves, because to be hardened means to be desensitized. Like right now, I mean, there are people probably today Who came onto this property and you instantly were moved. You know, and some people have come here, not believers, they've been moved, they've been overwhelmed, they've said, What is this place? Doesn't look like a church. What kind of business is this? Especially when we first opened Life Center, what is this? You know, like they come walking in, you know, but other people, some of us, even, you know, me on a bad day, you can come here, you can sit in a service. People are being moved, people are being touched, people are weeping, we're sitting there like, I don't feel nothing, nothing's happening. And it's like this is a danger sign that we're hardened. Now sometimes we're just tired and we'll be better the next day, but if, if this becomes habitual, it's like every day there's this need to reconnect with how many of you just say, you know, I'm tired of breathing, I think I'll take three days off. Uh, Do you understand? It's like, this is grace. This is the air I breathe. This is God's presence living in me. It's a really wise thing to reconnect when you wake up. I have this little routine I go through in the morning and and I'll just, just ask the Holy Spirit to fill me. And I do it in the middle of the night because in the middle of the night, you know, I might not wake up. I mean, mean, I'm not planning on not waking up, but it's just like, I'm in the middle of the night. It's way better than worrying. It's just saying, I want you, Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit, fill me, fill me. When I ask the holy breath of God to fill me, I usually inhale. I don't think you have to, but it just helps me do something with my body. So it's just like, this is a reality that, God brings us into relationship. We're always before him, but he's not always before us unless we choose to direct our affections and our... did you, you know, Jesus said, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and everything else will be added to us. And it, sometimes, you know, we just say, I can't wait for the next edition of the TV show to come out. I can't wait. I can't wait. I'm, I'm going to get a new car. There are things we get excited about you know, and some of them are pretty trivial and some of them are really important. But it's like God says, would you put me first? every day? Would you, would you turn your heart toward me every day? Look, I'm going to give you a great life. I'm going to bless you with abundance, but would you give me the first or the last or the first and the last? Just saying. Think it's a good idea? Okay. Lord Jesus, come into my heart. You know, that's, every day, I want Lord Jesus to fill my heart and be king of my life. Okay. So, keep going. Uh, God gave them a spirit of stupor. This is the desensitization. Stupor means being numb, being like you don't feel. A spirit of stupor, eyes that wouldn't see, ears that would not hear, down to this very day. One of my biggest horrors is if I I go to a meeting, not just here, but if I go to any meeting and I don't see anything and I don't hear anything. I mean, sometimes I deliberately, when I, when I am gone, al- Anne and I almost always go to church someplace. I know people say, I'm taking a break from church. Why? You hate it? You know, is it just obligation? I mean, we can go to mass, we'll watch on TV, but watching on TV is not the same as finding a place that's in person. Now we love, we'll watch, we'll watch Life Center online, you know, and we like to at least catch one of the services live when we're not here, but we also like to go to places where people are actually meeting, singing, preaching, and, and maybe, we, maybe it's not, quote, the same as it is here, but it's God is there. Wherever two or three are gathered in my name, don't be a snob. OK. Just say, it'll be good for you. And then it goes on, first you get desensitized, and then the very blessings that are in your life can snare you and trap you and stumble you. And David says, Psalm 29, this gets quoted a lot in the New Testament, and it's, it's like an imprecatory psalm. He's saying, "God, kill him, you know but and David says, this is his prayer, let their table become a snare and a trap and a stumbling block and a retribution for them. Let their back be bowed. Oh, you know, This is like mad. But where, that imagery of a table becoming a snare, a table is a picture of blessing in our life. And you don't know, understand the blessings in our life can become snares and traps. Have you ever started with something you really liked and then you realized, wow, I'm kind of addicted to that. It could be Big Macs. You know, I mean, you understand, like you, we can get snared and entrapped by the very things and like, you know, the picture of the low table, like their tables were low when they ate. I I, I was at this dinner in Korea once a bunch of businessmen from this church in Korea took us to dinner and it was late at night and, and Korean, God bless you if you're Korean, you just have energy that never ends. You know, there's no off button. When you're ministering in Korea. So we go to this dinner, it's late at night, and I have to catch a train back to Seoul, you know, but they, we're gonna have this dinner for three hours. We're sitting under this table with our legs crossed, and, you know, plate after plate after plate after plate is coming. And, and after a few hours, it's like, you know, if something happened, I couldn't get up. <laughs> now, not, it's not from how much, but I'm stiff, my legs are under the table. It would be a snare to me in a trap, and I tried to get it, and if I actually managed to get up, maybe knock the table up on its head, and I tried to run out of the room, I would stumble on it and fall. I, did, I think when David wrote this, he has this picture in mind, like, all oh, that food they're eating, just let them. <laughs> anyway, David was mad. Okay, so, and it's in the word of God, I love it. Okay, so, but now the next question is, verse 11, so I asked, did they stumble in order that they might not fall? In other words, is this permanent? No, it's not permanent. In fact, it's pregnant with purpose, like purpose that's beyond our little brains. And so, uh, because out of Israel's trespass came salvation for all the nations. So did they stumble that they might fall? By no means. In other words, Paul's saying impossible. Rather, through their trespass, salvation has come to the Gentiles so as to make Israel jealous. So their trespass was that they crucified the Messiah who came to them. Now, you know, I know the Roman soldiers crucified the men, and it wasn't all the Jews who crucified him, but the leaders, did they rejected him, and that rejection became salvation for us all. It's pretty cool, huh? It's like, God, how do you do this? Because he's God and I'm not, you know? Through their trespass, salvation has come to the Gentiles so as to make Israel jealous. But God has this plan, like he hasn't rejected Israel. Okay, I'm just gonna bless everybody else, and after a while, you're gonna see it, and it's gonna make you jealous. And then you're gonna want me like I want you. See, that's what it means to make them jealous. So, um, (laughs) isn't that amazing? Your salvation, the more saved and blessed you are, the more it's going to make unbelieving Israel jealous. So just, you know, anyway, I love our Jewish neighbors, have good relationships with them, and, and they see something. <laughs> I know they do. It's very interesting. Anyway, so I asked, did they stumble that people? No, no. Okay, next question. The trespass. This is, this is how smart God is. The trespass and failure of Israel released the riches of God's mercy to the world. Verse 12, now their, if their trespass means riches for the world and if their failure or their loss means riches for the Gentiles, and so he's saying, look, everything has purpose, even our mistakes. God is so sovereign that he turns your blunders into blessings. He takes the negatives, the worst things you've ever done, into his dark room and he turns them into positives. This is Romans 8.28. You know, so Paul's, so he's saying, look, God has already done this with the with the failure, the loss of the Jews, that they lost the blessing of God. If that's but it brought riches to all the nations, then he has this, how much more? And when you say how much more is you can't even imagine (laughs) what their fullness or their full inclusion means. So he said, so what has happened has been stunning. The salvation of every Christian in the world came out of their trespass and out of their loss. The riches of God's mercy. Now do you think that there might be some holy purpose that God is working out with Israel, and Israel's like a parable, it's like a paradigm. Israel, like, you know, we, I don't want, I mean, an unsaved Jew is just like an unsaved Gentile, it's not good, but that there's something because of the promise God made to Abraham that through his seed all the nations would be blessed, that it's working out even in their trespass and loss. How much more will their full inclusion mean? The fullness, the full number who will come to salvation. So he's talking about something in the future. So, And then Paul says, look, this is what's, my, you know, this is what's driving me. Verse 13, I'm speaking to you Gentiles, as a Jew, I'm speaking to you, Gentiles, in as much then as I am an apostle to the Gentiles, I magnify my ministry in order that somehow to make my fellow Jews jealous and thus save some of them. Like he says, I'm working harder than anybody else because I want it to be so amazing that more and more and more of Jewish people come to faith in Yeshua. <laughs> it's wild. And so, Then then he reveals something in verse 15, it's very deep. Israel is, Israel is, it's a parable, it's a paradigm for all humanity, but it's also a catalyst for God's purposes and plans in the earth. Verse 15, for if their rejection means the reconciliation of the world. Their rejection, they rejected Jesus and by rejecting Jesus, he was crucified, and by his crucifixion, there's reconciliation that's come into all the world. Is that stunning? Like, whoa, <laughs> you know, they, And what will their acceptance mean but life from the dead? So the rejection that brings reconciliation is speaking of the crucifixion, the acceptance that brings life to the dead is speaking of the end of the age. It's speaking of the return of Jesus. I, I'll read um, Doug, Douglas Moo. Doctor Moo is a professor of theology, and he's got. It. He wrote this. Paul suggests that the return of Israel to God's favor will mark the climax of history. When the dead are raised, that term, when the dead are raised, is, is always used of the very last day. It's always used of the, the return of the Lord and the judgment of the whole world. So he's saying, he's saying, their full inclusion will be life from the dead. It means this will come at the end of this age. It'll come at the, at the return of Jesus. So... This reference of life from the dead constitutes one reason to think Paul is describing a linear sequence of salvation history that climaxes with the return of Christ in glory. Hallelujah. Oh, man. Now he jumps into a warning. From verse 16 to verse 24, he talks about the, the dough offered as first fruits is holy, the, and so the whole lump is holy. If the root is holy, so are the branches. the the first fruits and the root are both referencing the patriarchs. They're referencing Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And so Paul is saying, if they're holy, then everything that comes out from them is also holy. It's not holy in the same way. It's not holy in the sense that it's saved, but it's holy in the sense that it's set apart. and That there's something unique and special that's outside the natural and it's it's uh, separate from the ordinary. And so he's warning Gentiles against arrogance. He says, what if some of the branches were broken off and you, these are all singular, so he's like speaking to, not, the, not all the Gentiles in Rome had a bad attitude toward the Jewish people, but some did. He says, so, and you, although a wild olive shoot were grafted in among others, now share the, ri- the fatness, the root, the nourishing root of the olive tree. Do not be arrogant toward the branches. If you are, remember, it's not you who support the root, but the root supports you. In other words, your salvation came through the Jews. Don't despise them. Oh, okay, you know, and so it, you know, remember that. Avoid pride, you know, verse 19, 20, branches were broken off so I might be grafted in. Might think, hey, you know, the church replaced Israel. Actually, John Calvin taught that, wrote that, but it's not true, the church did not replace Israel. The church and Israel are still, you know, God has one people, and Jesus broke down the dividing wall, but the Jewish people are still, there's a holy covenant that he has with their forefathers that remains his desire that they all come into the fullness, and wouldn't it be amazing if God, God says, "Yeah, we're going to wait until the fullness of Israel comes, and then Jesus will return." No, I'm just saying. So, so there's a, a whole warning here. It's ten verses long. It's very beautiful. Uh, you know, we're we're told to not become proud. Verse 21 says, God, if God didn't spare the natural branches, neither will he spare you. Whoa, you know, that's pretty scary. And then he says, behold the kindness and severity of God. If you continue in his kindness, you're doing good. If you turn away from it, then, then you too could experience severity. And then at the very end, he says, if you... For if you, verse 24, if you were cut off from what is by nature a wild olive tree and grafted contrary to nature, which wasn't the normal practice to graft the wild into the domestic, into a cultivated olive tree, how much more will these, the natural olive branches, be grafted back in to their own olive tree? So God's saying, don't judge the future by the present. (laughs) And don't create categories that God hasn't created. And then we come to the end. Verse 25, now we come back, this is where he left off in verse 15, talking about what will their acceptance be but life from the dead. And now we jump into verse 25. Lest you be wise in your own sight, I do not want you to be unaware of this mystery. So now he's going to reveal a mystery to us, something that can only be revealed by the Holy Spirit. Brothers, a partial hardening has come upon Israel until, the fullness of the Gentiles has come in, the full number of of Gentiles. In other words, so Israel right now is partially hardened, not entirely hardened, and it's temporarily hardened, and it's waiting for something which is the full number of Gentile, Converts among the nations. So every time we pursue the Great Commission, we're out sharing, we, you know, we send missionaries, we go as missionaries, we share the gospel with the people around us. All of that is moving things toward the end. And God has a full number of nations that'll come in and he, and he says, when that, when that number becomes full, then the hardening that's on Israel will be removed and there will be a full inclusion. Now, I don't understand this. I'm just saying, this is what Paul appears to be saying and it's phenomenal. And it keeps us humble and it keeps us in love and we say, yes, okay, we've sent more missionaries per capita to Israel than maybe any other country and it's okay. It's not like, well, why shouldn't anybody hear twice until all have heard once? I don't have the answer to that and neither do you. That is an excuse to be hard-hearted and judgmental (laughs) You know, if everybody in your whole world has heard the gospel at least once, maybe you have a right to say that, but you know, God is doing things. God brought Deganto and Lena here from Calcutta from West Bengal not knowing there's 40,000 or more Nepali and Bhutanese immigrants who've come to Harrisburg for such a time as this. It's part of the fullness of the Gentiles that every nation will hear the gospel. It may be in their location or it may be elsewhere. You know, but it's like, but all of this is going on and in the background, there's a partial hardening of Israel until the fullness of the Gentiles come in. Meanwhile, should we preach the gospel to Israel? Yes, because not all of them are hardened. (laughs) Come on, I'm just saying, okay. Verse 26, here's the promise. Ah, And in this way, all Israel will be saved, in other words, the whole purpose of how this is going israel's rejection becomes salvation to the gentiles gentile salvation makes israel jealous they soften their heart they come in and in all and in this way all israel will be saved let's say that together all israel will be saved as it is written, the deliverer will come from Zion. He will banish ungodliness from Jacob, and this will be my covenant with them. I will take away their sins. In other words, when he says all Israel will be saved, does he mean one hundred percent of the descendants of Jacob will be saved? I don't think so. I think he's meaning like, like when you look at it, you'd say, "Hey, they all got saved." There might be a few that don't, you know. And that's beyond us to answer. But it's like, don't you know? We don't want to like impose. Our our thinking on what Paul is saying here, he's just saying you're going to be amazed. Basically, you're going to say they all got saved, you know. But the uh, and. Thy covenant is, I'll take away their sins, verse 27. Verse 28, as regards the gospel, they are enemies for your sake. Like generally, they were getting lots of opposition from the Jewish people, especially the Jewish believers were getting opposition from their own relatives for your sake. But as regards the election, they are beloved for the sake of the patriarchs, their forefathers. Thank you, Jesus. How many are glad God's not a Marxist? He's not against patriarchs and uh, it doesn't think patriarchy is evil. (laughs) Come on, he's called father. (laughs) Anyway, it's very nice, just a little aside there. And we'll keep going here before I get in trouble, offend too many people. Verse 29, the gifts and callings of God are irrevocable. And we'll quote that for ourselves. You know, that there are things like you're messed up, but I had a friend named Danny, Danny was a, was a gifted evangelist. He'd just share the gospel, people would get saved. Danny was, Danny went through a very dark time in his life and he, he worked in a grocery store. You know, he was a people person. Pretty soon he ends up in an affair with this woman who comes from a famous atheist family in our little mountain town. They all said, there's no God. I mean, they were hillbilly atheists, but they were all atheists. They owned a logging company, a rock quarry, a road building company. And, and they had the most dangerous working environment any place, I mean, their own nephews and grandkids would get killed at their sawmill, you know, and they didn't care, you know, it's like, this was before OSHA, so, so anyway, Danny's having this affair with this, with this atheist woman, and she's like fine with it, you know, and they're going off to Lake Tahoe for a weekend or something like that, and then he's an evangelist Yeah, so they're drinking pretty soon. He starts telling her about the gospel and she gets interested and he gets her a Bible and she starts reading the Bible and after she reads the Bible a little bit, she says, Danny, what you're doing is wrong. I'm gonna go talk to your wife. I'm gonna apologize to her. I'm gonna ask her to forgive me and you better do something because I'm not having anything to do with you because I'm a Christian now. I mean, Danny's in heaven now. I know he is in heaven because God had mercy on him. But that wasn't his only episode like that. But do you understand he had a gift and that gift would operate whenever he wasn't actively pursuing sin. And I'm just saying the gifts and callings of God are without repentance. They're irrevocable. But it doesn't mean we are responsible for our stewardship of it. God, forgive me, I didn't want to make a good example out of Danny, even though I loved him dearly, and, uh, and he, he had more good days than bad days, but um, it's just like, here's, here's how there are the gifts and callings, so the gifts and callings of God on people's lives, that they're there, and someone could fall into sin, they come back to God, that gift will still be there that calling will still be there. You know, we may have trouble like, what are we gonna do with this person? We don't know, we're gonna pray and find a way to deal with it. Verse 30, for just as you were at one time disobedient to God, but have now received mercy because of their disobedience. Like, so now, Paul's saying, look, you were disobedient and now you've received, Mercy because of their disobedience, so too they have now been disobedient in order that by the mercy shown to you they may now receive mercy. So there's something like basically God has given us mercy and we give it back. Can you say that? Okay, I'm getting in trouble here. Um, Because God, verse 32, God has consigned all to disobedience that he may have mercy on all. So there's something in the mystery of God. Lord God says, I've locked everybody up in disobedience so that I can rescue every single one of them, that no one can save themselves, that everyone needs this gracious gift of God's salvation. And so, so God is magnifying his mercy by the very fact that, that disobedience doesn't have the last word. Okay, stand up and we'll get to the doxology. So, Paul is writing all this stuff and, and he's going all over time and eternity, re- revealing this to us, and it's coming to him, and he ends up with this ecstatic praise of God. And he says, Oh, the depth! of the riches and wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments, how inscrutable his ways. It, the depths, it's like God's, God's, God's riches and wisdom and knowledge are deeper than the sea. Like we can't get to the bottom of it. It's bottomless. It's endless. How he does things, we can't Ever fully understand his ways? I like the NIV says his ways are beyond tracing out. Psalm says his footpaths are in the seas, he walks in the waters. We can't find his. His footsteps. It's like God, Paul is just going, This is mind boggling. Verse 34 Who has known the mind of the Lord? Who has been his counselor? Obviously, no one. Who has ever given him a gift that he might be repaid? We can never outgive God. God never owes us anything. He's given us more than we can ever repay. He's like, His mind and His spirit and His heart are exploding. And He ends with these words, verse 36. For from Him, and through him and to him are all things. To him be the glory forever, amen. And he passes out, you know, on the floor. But do you understand, he said, from him, he's the originator, he's the source. There's nothing exists that doesn't, we don't, our existence is a continuous donation from him. It's through him, he sustains all things by the word of his power, and it's to him. At the end of the age, every knee will bow, every tongue will confess, and we'll all declare, Jesus Christ is Lord, to the glory of God, God the Father, things on earth above the earth, on the earth, under the earth and in the sea will all cry out, Jesus Christ is Lord, to the glory of God the Father, to him be glory forever. And you say amen? Amen. 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 And so when we see him, we'll fall down and say with, with the angel, saints and angels, salvation belongs to our God, you know, who sits on the throne and to the lamb. And this will be our life forever. So that now we did it. We ended Romans 9, 10, 11. I just pray we'd walk in gratitude and in humility, and we would, in the wonder that the disobedience of One people brought salvation to us all. And how much more should we be contending that that salvation would reach every people and that the fullness of the nations would come in, that the fullness, the full inclusion of Israel would occur and that our Lord would return. Sometimes we don't, you know, we don't preach this much. We're all kind of dominionists. We're gonna take over the whole world with seven mountains, all this stuff. And that's good, we should, you know, we should be busy while we're here and be doing that. But the spirit and the bride say, even so, come Lord Jesus. So what everything we do, we live to hasten his return so that for that day when we see him, that day when as he left in the clouds, he returns, sets foot on the earth, and we enter in to that next stage and age and fullness. Man, God, fill us with that hope, everyone here, that anyone here who doesn't know you Just pray their heart would be soft and open, that they would come and find mercy. Thank you, God, that it's not by our works, but it's by the gift of your grace that we enter into this blessing we call salvation. God, we ask that it be poured out. We ask that you would equip us with joy and gratitude, with humility and openness to everything you're doing and saying in Jesus' name, amen, amen. Now, I've done something bad today and I'm going to repent of it, but I I went over. And so we don't want to discourage the nursery babies who are now traumatized, wondering where their parents are or the workers who are getting traumatized by the babies crying. So we'll go get them quickly. We'll thank them and the rest of you. God bless you. May his peace be upon you. The, The love of God, the father, the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be on you as you go out in peace. Amen. In Jesus' name. God bless you. Have a good day. There's a ministry team up here if you need prayer for anything. Prayer for salvation, deliverance, healing, breakthrough, encouragement. Meanwhile, love each other and love your neighbors. Amen.